0: Hey guys, market got you spooked? You're trying to figure out, do I need to keep going with this thing or go for safe higher ground? We're also going to be talking about today, how do you spot and make the most of opportunities that might be coming your way in life? All that and more in today's Money Guy Show.
1: It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy.
0: Okay, guys, go check us out, moneyguy.com. Also want to thank everybody who filled out the survey questionnaires that came in. You know, we um we heard you loud and clear on some things. If we get time, maybe we'll talk about it at the end of the show, just some of the results and some of the feedback we got from it. But thank you, thank you for for filling that information out. Um if you want to reach out to the show, remember this is our day jobs. We're fee-only wealth managers. With locations both in Atlanta as well as in the Nashville, Tennessee area. If you want to take your relationship to the next level, feel free to reach out to us. And on those, on those lines, um, I'm joined today by my co-host, Mr. Barry White. <laughs> his name obviously is not Barry White. It's Mr. Bo Hansen, but Bo's struggling through something with his voice. He claims he doesn't feel bad, but his voice has gotten very deep and it's raspy. Um, and it, what's funny to me is he has, Three 401k enrollment meetings later this afternoon, it's going to be entertaining just to watch his voice try to withstand all that.
1: I just, you know, I'm going to talk in a little bit of a lower register, kind of have those bedroom eyes turned on, and I think it'll be just fine. (laughs) And here's going to be the hard part. So we're managing this new 401k. We're bringing in some really good investment options. We're running some model portfolios, some really good stuff that I think the participants are going to be really excited about. But it's going to be hard with this deep, baritone, sultry thing I got going on to keep the energy level up. But I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give it the old college try. You sure it's a baritone,
0: not a bass or an alto? I, I don't really know a lot about that's music. That's why I was I curious. You threw out a music term there. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that wasn't just... It was the first I one, one I you came pretty grab. close, though. Okay, let's talk about the markets first, guys. I, I, you know, I don't want to spend the entire show on the financial markets because that's not what we do here. I mean, we do give it investment, you know, improvement guides to you guys so you can hopefully make better decisions to stretch those dollars that are in your back pocket. But when the market just has a continued period of misbehaving, I feel like that I need the coach needs to kind of step up, blow the whistle and say, okay, let's let's focus on the basics. Let's understand what's going on here. And and here's the thing, I'm not going to be talking about market going up, going down. I want to just give you some cold, hard facts. I thought it was interesting. I wrote a column for U.S. News back on September 11th of 2015, and we titled the, the column How to Stay Calm in an Uncertain Market. If you just went on Google and typed in Brian Presting U.S. News, you'll see a whole list of all the, the, the columns that Bo and myself have worked on. But here's the, the thing I thought was interesting. Here's the cold, hard facts on why you need to stay the course even if you're freaking out about the markets. Now, realize if you are freaking out, there's a good chance, especially if you're getting closer to retirement, you might have your asset allocation all wrong because this is why you do diversify your money is if you hit these rough patches, if you got the right mix of assets, you shouldn't be panicking because you, you should be in a pretty solid place. But here's the facts I think people should know about Why market timing doesn't work. If you're getting those feelings that maybe I should go for, you know, cash, just sit this out. I get that call every now and then. I get a call from somebody saying, Brian, what's the, what's the harm if we just kind of get out of this thing and wait until it feels like it's better? And I always say, well, realize here's the things you need to understand. Over the last 20 year period, and this is from 1995 to 2014, because when I did this article back at, in September of last year, we had not closed out 2015 yet, but here's the, here's the data that you see reported all the time, and I think it's very pertinent. If you miss the best five days, the best 10 days, and the best 20 days of the S&P 500 over that 20 year period, you could drop your return would be, da- would be lower by approximately 40% if you miss the best five days, 59% if you miss the best 10 days, and 81% If you miss the best 20 days.
1: Okay. So let me, so this is over 10 years, right? 20 years. 20 years. And I I think, aren't there about 280 trading days?
0: Well, I I have five. No, I did 5,000 trading days. I calculated it out. Because you're about to make the next point that I have written in the column is that always when I when I point this item out, the, the pessimists always come out and go, Brian, you're only telling me half the story. Come on. Dude, I've got the best Magic 8 ball you've ever seen, and I can miss the best, the, the worst, because you just gave me the best days. If I miss the best days, what does that mean? But what if I could miss the worst days? Because that's got to be the exact same type of information. And here's what I always challenge people when they tell me that. I always say, okay, let's think about that. 20 days out of 5,000 trading days, because we're talking about 20 years, probably 5,000 trading days, Um I think that's nearly impossible for the average investor. I I just don't see how you, especially if you take into account that the majority of the time, if you're just going, is the market, does it make money or does it lose money? Give me on, is it zero to 50? Is it 51 to 100? The majority, meaning over 50% of the time, you're going to make money in the financial markets. It's not like flipping a coin. It's not 50-50. It goes up more than it goes down. And as a result, you trying to choose the best 20 days or the worst 20 days out of 5,000, I just don't think it's, it's, it's possible. And here's the other thing I always tell people. If you say you want to get out and you just go wait for calmer markets and you'll get back in, this is what people don't realize. Markets recover fast. I mean, really fast. They'll break your neck. They move so quick because a lot of times markets will recover in what's called a V-shaped recovery. So listen to these statistics. If you went back to the, the, to the dot-com bubble and that was, you know, we hit the recovery period from around, we hit the bottom on October 9th of 2002. And, and then if you looked at November 8th of 2002, so one month, after we started hitting recovery mode with the S&P 500, the market made 15.2%. Holy cow. Well, you're like, well, it, well, how about 12 months? So if you looked at 12 months, starting in October of 2002 and going out till 2003, the market made 33.7%. So you're probably scratching your head going, Brian, that's one market, but that, that doesn't happen all the time. Okay. Well, let's fast forward to the, to the great recession. The first month of recovery, so March of ninth of two thousand and nine and then fast forward one month to April 9th of two thousand and nine the market made twenty six point six percent in one month and listen to this this will this is what will knock your socks off from March ninth of two thousand and nine fast forward exactly twelve months to two thousand and ten the market meaning the s and p five hundred made sixty eight point five seven percent so if you already have experienced a lot of the volatility and the loss you might as well stay the course because that is when this thing, when it recovers, it will recover quickly. And people are going, man, I wish I would not have gotten out. And here, here's here's what I think the key point, if you really want to know how to set yourself up for the future, the very first key point I made on how to stay calm in an uncertain market, success starts with a plan. I was shocked when I was doing research for, for this column I typed up Twenty-one percent of couples only—I should put the "only" in front of it. Only twenty-one percent of couples have a retirement plan to avoid outliving their savings, according to a, a, a recent survey that Fidelity Investments did on a thousand fifty-one couples. Wow, twenty-one percent. I mean, that means the other seventy-nine percent are just going. I guess I'll be okay. Hope it works out. Yeah, I assume I'll be all right. Oof. You know what? You know what? Assuming does. So that's my market update. Tell you to stay the course. Hang in there. It's going to be okay. Now, Bo, you inspired this podcast today. A, does that sound cool to hear well, you, me like to say think, that you inspired this I'll podcast? I like to think that I'm a pretty inspiring guy. So here's what happens, guys. First, I think Bo was mad at me a little bit. I came in Monday after the Super Bowl because we just had a Super Bowl weekend, and he's like, did you read the text I sent you? I'm like, no. Well, did you send me a text? There
1: there are a few times in the course of the day that I want to body slam Brian, but this was one because I just knew he was going to be so excited about this article that I sent it.
0: So he did, and and truthfully, after I read the article, it was outstanding. Because here's the thing that I want to talk about. As you heard me give in the intro, we're going to be talking about opportunities, how to make the most of them, how to spot them. and And I was shocked. You know, John Elway was Hall of Fame quarterback for the Denver Broncos, for a generation. Yep. Just incredible. And I remember, you know, going over and watching Super Bowls, where John Elway was in and so forth. But this is the thing that surprised me about John Elway. We all know John Elway now works with the Bronco organization again. He's a VP slash general manager. Sure. And this is, he could have been owner. Ooh, that sounds like a bigger deal than a Because here's, here's what was offered to him. And this is coming from ESPN.com. And the title of the of, of the article, and this came out on February the 3rd of 2016. So this is pretty recent. It was yep. in preparation, I'm sure, for the Super Bowl. It said the document was dated September 23rd, 1998. And it contained, at least in retrospect, John Elway's golden ticket to a lifetime of fortune. And this is why I'm telling you guys, if you can't spot opportunities, there is something to be learned. And I will tell you, when we start going through the money guy list, of things you can do to spot opportunity. I'm going to tell you exactly where John Elway misplayed his hand on this thing. So this we're going to bring it back to the guidance that I'm going to be providing later. But let me continue just to kind of bring you up to date. Here was the deal that he was offered. The Denver Broncos owner, Pat Bolin, would give Elway the right to buy 10% of the Broncos for $15 million. Bolin would also give him the option to buy another 10% of the franchise by foregoing the deferred salary Bolin owed him on condition that Elway would become a special assistant to Bolin, which would eventually lead to a COO job. That total deferral was $21 million. So the the franchise, the, the organization, owned uh, owed John $21 million. Plus, they offered him 50, if for 15000000 million. They'd let him have 20% of the organization. But here's the kicker. Here's how you know that somebody had a lot of respect. And they were not thinking about this from a financial standpoint. They were thinking about this from, I want John Elway. I care about John Elway. I I respect what John Elway has done for my organization. I want to give him some dividends for what I feel like he's done for us. That's what was going on here, but John didn't spot it. And we'll talk about that later. If John Elway, this is what it says in the ESPN report, if John Elway wasn't happy with his investment, he could sell it back, Two to five years later for five million dollars more than his original purchase price plus an eight percent interest rate per year built in on top of the five million dollar gain. No 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 way you could lose money on this deal.
1: Now in my mind, and, and what do I know about investments? I'm just a lowly CFA. In my mind, it sounds like that was a
0: guaranteed no lose, automatic rate of return type situation. And I mean what I thought was interesting, he had um he also had the right if the franchise ever sold in the future, he would have the first option to buy it, to buy additional shares, as long as it wasn't a family deal. If somebody in the, in the, in the, the Boland family wasn't selling. Um, and he had an appear, he had a whole window of opportunity. This wasn't like, Hey, come in here. Next week, you got to sign this. He had a cool off period to think about this. It was either six to nine months. It's somewhere buried in the article. I had it written down, but, um, and a lot of people, when I read this, I was like, Okay, well, it's understandable. Athletes don't typically have money. So maybe it was just a matter of, we're talking about how great of an opportunity this was. But $37 million, Bo, I couldn't give you $37 million. That's so a lot of people would say he just didn't have the cash. So that's probably why he avoided it. But the article went a little deeper. It said in 1997, um, Elway had made the largest business deal an NFL player had ever made off the field by selling a, his car dealerships for what turned out to be $82.5 million dollars. So that was auto nation stock he had eighty two million dollars of cash he had made in ninety seven This deal was offered in ninety eight so he did have he fifteen million dollars that he could have made this happen um, I think it's interesting you know because the article goes on we're going to kind of fast forward and get out of this thing now because I want to make sure we save time for for how to 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 make money and, and spot opportunities. but it talked about all the different ways that John made his horrible, horrible investments. Um, he invested in '98. He bought a laundry, a bunch of laundry mats. Um, that he was hoping it was going to be like the blockbuster, uh, video rentals for, but he was going to do the same thing for laundry mats. So he lost a, a big chunk of money in that. Um, he also in '98 he bought five hundred thousand dollars for a stock that turned out to be worthless. Um. He invested a seven figure amount in MVP.com, an online sports e-commerce site. Um, it went bust within a year. He also bought a franchise, you know, um, he, he bought a indoor arena league right. team. It didn't do well.
1: So it sounds like he had this amazing, wonderful, unbelievable investment opportunity that he did not seize, that he passed on and all of his subsequent decisions, or maybe not all of them, but a lot of his subsequent decisions. Just were not very good at all.
0: Yeah. And if you want to know, if you're keeping track, you want to know what that $37 million investment would be worth, it'd be worth $388 million now with a, an annual rate of return. It would be a 646% rate of return since 1998. Pretty good. Pretty sweet deal. I'd say so. Um, you know, last thing I, I just was fast forwarding and looking at other things of people who missed. Out on great opportunities. And one of the ones that I thought was interesting, there was really three that I've just got four really quick. I'll do these super yeah. quick because I don't want to spend a lot of time. We all know that Steve Jobs and Wozniak worked at Atari. You know, and I'm, I'm a kid of the seventies, eighties and nineties. So I loved some Atari and television. I love Coleco. I loved all that stuff that came through, but Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak offered the Atari founder Nolan Bushnell, he could they, he said, "Hey, we're starting a company. If you want to give us fifty thousand dollars, we'll make you a third owner." He turned it down. Wow! You know, and you can understand. Well, but seriously, you have brilliant employees. They come to you and say fifty thousand. But truthfully, to Nolan, that probably wasn't a ton of money at the time. Right? We know that that fifty thousand dollars was actually to start Apple Computers, which turned out. if you would kept that, his um the his portion would be worth 480 billion dollars. Um if it so he probably sold it before it was worth 480 but sure. it's still pretty incredible. Also, we've all heard of this one, Ronald Wayne could be worth 40 billion today. Ronald Wayne was Apple's third co-founder. He sold his 10% stake in Apple for $800 2 weeks after its launch. He later got $1500 just for renouncing all claims to ownership. So here's a guy who had $2300 um, for something to be worth forty billion, and then this is here's two that I, I, I knew about. This first one, the A- HP executive realized Wozniak worked for Hewlett Packard at the time, w- right before he started Apple Computers with Steve Jobs. Um, Steve Wozniak was working at HP, and he was starting to dabble already with starting this personal computer that later became Apple. And he went to the chairman for HP five times. And begged him, begged the CEO John Young, "Hey, let me start to manufacture this for HP." And five times, Mister John Young said, "Nope." And I'm still, and I might be getting this wrong because I've read the, the the books and so forth. But I believe that HP even signed over because, you know, they had a deal where he was an employee. Right. But even though he did all the work after hours, I think HP had signed off that he was free and clear to go start his company. Right. So it's kind of crazy when you think about what has become of Apple. The last one, and then we'll jump into actually some learning, some things that will hopefully add value. And you can learn from Joe Green. The only Joe Green I know is mean Joe, lean, lean, mean Joe
1: I, Green. Mean right? Joe. I mean,
0: I love me some Mean Joe Green, but um, that's not the Joe Green we're talking about here. And a lot of you have probably not heard of Joe Green, but Joe Green was Mark Zuckerberg's college roommate. That's probably not a bad college roommate to have. So th- this is. An, I, I'm trying to think of when I watched that the the Facebook movie or the whatever, social network. the Social Network or whatever. It's um, remember in the movie because that's what's reality is what's in the movies, right? Um. Zuckerberg had started an, uh, you know, a a website for called Hot or Not type style thing that got him and his college roommate in trouble with Harvard University. They had kind of gotten him, you know, because it had kind of become a big sensation on campus. So when Mark approached Joe, his college roommate, and said, Hey, let's, let's, let's do this Facebook thing. I didn't put the in front of it. Let's do Facebook. And, um, you know, it was Joe's father who said, I don't think you should be hanging out and doing stuff with that Zuck kid. <laughs> his father talked him out because of the, how they got in trouble over the previous thing and said, no, let's. you need to stay away from Zuck and his crazy schemes. And um, that 5% stake, because that's what Joe Green had, had said, that he was offered 5% would be worth about $7 billion today. Unbelievable. So those are people who might have wished they had it back on opportunity. And we could go through all the great people who have succeeded in opportunities, but here's what I wanted to do. I sat down, and I was like, this is going to be easy. Show prep, when we came up with this idea, I was like, I'll just do a Google search on how to spot opportunities and make the most of it. And I'd probably find a great list, and I'll be able to just dial it in off of that. And we've heard in the survey results, you guys hate when we dial it in off of that. So it's probably a good thing. I didn't find anything I thought was good.
1: And, And, Brian, why is it important that we should be able to recognize opportunities? Who, who was it that told us that that's something that should be a trait that we have, that we possess?
0: Well, I mean, and I've heard the survey results, you guys think I bring this up too much too. But there is definitely part of the whole millionaire next door concept is that you should, Dr. Thomas Stanley talks about that people who are successful, who accumulate wealth, um, typically can spot opportunity. So this is a skill set by all means you should focus on. But I found that there wasn't a great resource. So you know what we did? I um, sat down in my front living room at about 9 o'clock last night, and I just Google-docked the heck out of these show notes today. So this is all coming from experience of working with highly successful people and then things I've just seen in my life. And, Bo, I want you to add in any 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 thoughts that you see. But let's just jump into this thing. So the first section I had was how to prepare yourself to receive opportunity inspiration. And what I had put together was, um, you need to understand the why of your desire. And, of course, when I talk about the why, there's been a lot played about Simon Sinek's um, TED Talk that he did on why. So I, I'm i going to put a link on our show notes um so Kaylee can go. hopefully put that out there for everybody to to watch that video, to understand the why, because he talks about a lot of things. He talks about Martin Luther King, Jr., and, you know, in the whole Civil Rights movie, he talks about Steve Jobs. I mean, there's a lot of things, if you think about, the why of what's driving you, you can kind of figure out what the path should look like. And and they're not all created equally either. By the way, if money is what's driving you, I'm not so sure that you're just going to automatically get money. It, you typically want to make sure that you're being driven by something more wholesome than that. Typically, you need to have a passion. You need to you need to really. This is something that you want to dive headfirst and be very involved in or passion. I keep coming back to the word because passion is such a strong thing and that's going to help you understand those expectations of how things will play out. Um, the next thing on preparing yourself for opportunity inspiration, you need to inventory what your passions and talents are. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that's, that's pretty good. And if you're, you're, you're looking and you're going, Brian, I don't know what I'm passionate about. Here's a challenge I'd give you. When you take out the family stuff, because, you know, you go home, you're spending time with the family and things. There probably is a time somewhere between 8.30 to 11 o'clock at night before you go to bed that besides hanging out with the family, you're doing something. What are you doing during those times? Are are you, you know, the, the examples I had typed up last night, are you reading financial articles? Are you typing up blog posts because you're trying to start a blog? Are you watching automobile videos on YouTube, you know? opportunity can can surprise you that it's going to show up on a hobby or something you do in your spare time. You just need to open up your ears and your eyes and just be fully aware of what's going on in your life that you truly are passionate about. I mean, as I told you, I was typing up show notes at 930 at night last night because this is something that just drives me. I'm very passionate about it, and that's what kind of led to that inspiration. If you find out when you're looking that your spare time is wasteful, I mean, Bo, we joke about it, and don't don't misread this, guys, because I do fantasy football too, but some of my friends take fantasy football, you two would think they were getting paid like a salary for it. I would say they're professional fantasy football players. But they're professional without the profession. That's right. I mean, that, that's the problem. You're spending professional time on something that you will not get a, a, a return from. So if your time is being wasted... That's something you can learn and change right there. And there's all kinds of things you can get into that are wasteful. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but just pay attention to that. So let's transition from passion to, to talent. I mean, how do you, how do you figure out what your talent is? I always ask people, and I believe this, I think everybody has something that they're good at that they can do better than most everybody else. It's, I, I call it your superpower. What's your superpower? And then I started writing down superpowers I have seen from even my own friends and client base. I have a client and a friend. He's a close friend too. Um, I don't, I don't think it's bad to say this is the guy who I've mentioned in previous podcasts who is friends with billionaires and others. This guy's skill set. Is he can become best friends with somebody within 30 days. It's, uh, that is 100 I know you think accurate. I'm full of crap when I say that, but this, this guy, and it, and, and I don't think it's fake. I mean, he really, I mean, he's a great friend. He can become friends with somebody in 30 days. It doesn't matter who you are, how successful you are. That's a superpower, guys. It's a superpower he's turned into a very good living for himself because it transitions very nicely into what his day job is. I can't share what it is because you'll know who, you'll probably be able to figure out who I'm talking about, but, Realize that's his superpower. Um, the other one I have is that I have other clients that have a laser focus that they don't get derailed. I mean, they, they just, they have a laser focus on goals and objectives that makes them just incredibly successful on in things. Bo, I pick on you. I mean, we did a firm challenge last year to lose weight or oh. just to be healthier. I shouldn't say lose weight because that has, because sometimes people don't want to lose weight. They just want to be healthier. You were miserable to be in that, that, Con- we're never doing another contest because you ruined it. <laughs> because guys, you hope when you do a, a, like an office pool or something where you're, you're hoping it becomes, builds a team building type moment. Bo was horrible. I mean, cause he is so driven and focused that while we're all losing three or four pounds and, but still sneaking in a piece of chocolate from time to time, Bo turned into, the, the most rigid Spartan I've ever seen that he didn't want anything that wasn't part of winning that. And that went on for four months.
1: Yeah, that, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: that's why we're not doing It's because you're, you're driven by goals. So, but we'll move on. The next one. I mean, I've seen people who have, and I think this is something that I've worked through in the past is I think I see the big picture, that 30,000 foot view of where things are going. And, and where you fit into that is a talent that you can actually help you. It keeps you from getting tied down and bogged down into the minutia and noise that can come your way in life. That's a superpower yep. if you can do that type of stuff. So try to figure out and take inventory of what your personal superpower is. Um, I also think, and this one was interesting, as I started writing these things down, I was like, Gosh, the world is just changing so fast. All these things are amazing. I'm not that old. And this is and i left out a bunch of stuff. I could have gone I could have done the entire list off of this next section. Bottle up and study the cycle and current trends that are changing the world. And guys, oh, I, I kind of I, I kind of wrote down the things I've seen just in my short lifetime. And and, and really my short lifetime since I've been in the workforce. I I, I could go back and we could go into the seventies and things that happened and stuff. But no, I stopped I started this when I came out of college in the mid nineties and let's talk about this. Well, I guess it goes a little earlier because I do have personal computers. Um, I can remember as a child when we got our first Apple clone, we couldn't afford an Apple. So we got the Apple clone and all my millennials listen and go, what's he talking about? Clone. I have no idea what he's talking Believe about. Believe me, the older guys know what I'm talking about. We bought a clone. Um, that, that led to gaming systems. If you, you know, I've already mentioned Atari. That was a tr- tremendous change in, uh, that happened, um, that, that, an innovation that kind of was starting to change the world because instead of going to arcades, now you were doing stuff at home. Then the Internet came along. You got Google who figured out how in the world it could make money just off of your using the Internet more effectively and staying online so you could see more of their ads and placements and other things like that, which led to online shopping. We got Amazon. We got online dating. How many people now meet through the online space versus just going to a bar or, or, or some other way like they used to traditionally? Telecommuting. I mean, we, Bo, we are part of this. The uh, virtual relationships, bar, we yeah. work with clients in 30 states now. That wouldn't be available if we didn't have this great thing of the Internet and the progression and the change of everybody's mentality through working. We all look at space and, I, I think, location a lot differently than we did probably 20 years ago. Um, the iPod, I mean, the iPod is what's brought something like this. I mean, digital music and regional celebrities. I think about how the iPod has changed the music industry. And I'm not just talking about, you know, that you go buy on, just buy only digital files. Think about the fact there was a, a guy named Corey Smith. If you're in the Southeast, you probably know who he is because all he did was he's a country guy who, who went around and only played college towns. Primarily right. his tour was he would drive around the Southeast and go to college towns. Y'all realize because he gave a speech. I think it's on YouTube to University of Georgia. He was averaging six million dollars a year. He, he sold out the, um, He sold out Chastain Amphitheater in, I think, like two minutes or something. I mean, it was something crazy. This is a guy who's unsigned, who was making a huge impact locally in the music industry, and it's all because of the iPods and digital music. And that's led to podcasting. Ta-da, here we are, podcasting, 10 years. We've been doing it. We kind of spotted that opportunity early, went and planted that flag, and that's where why we're here. Smartphone revolution. I mean, how many people have made millions of dollars being app developers now? Yeah, Candy Crush. Yep. I mean, between rescue and pets, I mean, I'm surprised my wife has not gotten a PETO award yet. <laughs> I mean, so many pets have been rescued in the Preston household that it's all because of this smartphone revolution. Tablets, you know, here I was telling you, I was working at 930 last night. I'm working on my tablet because it's just so easy. My wife doesn't cuss me because I 'm able to sit next to her while The Bachelor or some TV shows on in the background that we've recorded, and she still feels like i 'm there i 'm not disconnected, but i 'm still able to be productive um social media we 've already talked about Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube millionaires. oh my God guys, I wrote down there, dude perfect oh, yeah. I mean they 're doing Super Bowl ads now, and other things i mean they've they've had a lot of success if you if you have younger children I, the disney collector there's this woman named Disney Collector, all she does is open up kids' toys. And with her painted fingernails, talk about them in a very soothing voice. She makes over a million dollars a year, guys, off of playing with kids toys.
1: And so the takeaway, Brian, is that you're saying that in order to be able to recognize opportunities, you need to recognize how the tides are shifting. Yeah. More so than figuring out how do I do the thing that's already been done? What's the next thing that's going to be?
0: You want to be early. I will tell you a lot of the, the if you can adopt something early, there is more real estate and success for you. Why have we been so su- successful with the podcast? we got 10 years of history. We found the real estate early and planted the flag. Um, I, I think there is right now, there is something that is bubbling up that's going to become an opportunity. I mean, I had written down here, maybe it's virtual reality. I mean, they've been talking about that for years. I mean, there is something out there. Just look around and look at what you use in your life and go, is there an opportunity that I can make out of whatever I'm spotting, whatever trend is going on? And then the, the last thing on talking about just preparing, um, for opportunities, have powder money. I mean, you can see the biggest opportunity in the world, but if you don't have more than two nickels to rub together, you're not going to be able to seize the opportunity. Right. You're not going to be able to make it happen. So you've got to keep some cash. That's why we always talk about emergency reserves and other things like that. That's a basic, guys. You've got to make sure you're doing that type of thing. So now that we've talked about how you prepare yourself. Let's talk about actually turning that opportunity into fulfillment, meaning how do we implement and move forward with this. The first thing I wrote was pride and comfort are the enemies of opportunity. Oh, I like that. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by pride and, and comfort are the enemies? First, pride. And this is where I think John Elway had a little bit of this going on. Pride can be the detriment of opportunity because you can't be so prideful you don't recognize a helping hand. And what I mean by that is is that there are a lot of people, and I'll get to it on the loved ones in a section, but mentors, guys, we all like to say we're self-made. I mean, to some degree, I feel self-made because I took some risk and things, but no one's truly self-made. I have mentors in my path, in my past, that really have shaped me and turned me who I am, so... Um, and here's the cool thing about most people. When you start having success and fulfillment, you kind of like to share the journey and you like to share what you have built because and I think this is the sad thing. When I read Steve Jobs autobiography, you can sense there at the end after, you know, the, the, the cancer had kind of taken over. He had so much he felt like he could do, but he couldn't get it all out of his head. So there's that desire to share and get that, get that just. Because we're, we're, we're mortal. I mean, we're only going to be here for a certain period of time. So people like to mentor because they want to see first. They want to invest in somebody through knowledge to watch you be successful because it is fun to watch people be successful. And they feel like, hey, it's kind of, it's kind of nice that somebody's intrigued and interested in my journey and what made me successful. So there's multiple things going on there from an education standpoint. Um, find out who's doing what you're interested in and, and, you know, and who's the best at it. Reach out to them. And, yep. and, and there's a good chance, guys, that they will ignore you. They will ignore you. But you know what? When they ignore you, find out a way to get their attention. Um, I still, I had a podcast listener who was really intriguing to me, a young guy doing very well. Um, he was intrigued in doing like a, a franchise for a national brand that we'd all recognize that, you know, fast food chain. He, but because he was a young, successful guy, they wouldn't call him back. He was trying to get them to, to reach out to him. Couldn't get anybody to call him back. He went and bought a Tervis Tumblr for. He went and researched on the internet the the CEO or the person who's in charge of the franchises where he went to college and then went and bought a Tervis tumbler for that college, then wrote a very nice handwritten note, put it in with the Tervis tumbler, sent it to the guy's office. You know what? He got a phone call that's or incredible. an email. I mean, because that's why when people who are – because sometimes these mentors, even though they want to share, they're going to be very busy. Yep. You've got to do something to make yourself stand out. And um so don't get discouraged just because – the phone doesn't ring immediately when you reach out to somebody. Right. There, There is something I, I, that goes on. It's not just starting. This doesn't have to be an entrepreneur type endeavor. I can tell you every job I've ever gotten before I started my own company, I tried to figure out what's the one thing I could do above and beyond what all the other candidates were doing. Whether my very first job was because I found out we had a first preliminary interview on campus, um, The the – the partner who was interviewing me saw which hometown I was from. He said, Oh, do you know so and so? They're a client of our firm. He told me that that's all I needed. I went to that before the second interview with that firm. I went to that client and said, Hey, talk to me about this firm. And same thing, Bo. You had a friend that needed a job. Yep. And, um, he found out that we knew, you know, some of the partners at one of the firms he was applying to. We gave him the information. He looked a step above and beyond. He looked like he was a step above all the other candidates because he had done research. Yep. A lot of times you're going to realize, guys, I think probably 90% of the public just shows up. Just showing up and enough. you got to go to the next level with it. So figure out, take advantage of mentors, and don't let somebody just not calling you back immediately or replying to your email be the thing that turns you off. Try to figure out how you can kick it up another level to get their attention. The next thing I has, if you have a rich parent or relative that wants to invest, consider it. How, how often, Brian, do we see
1: someone, uh, specifically kind of in the line of work that we do? They have a great idea, a great concept, something that we have no doubt that can be successful, but they're not willing to let anyone help them because the pride, just like you said, gets in the way. Well, look at, look, if you watch Shark Tank,
0: I, I challenge you, listen to the bio when you talk, you know, when they do the intro to Shark Tank. There are several of the sharks that talk about how they had family loans, you know, five, ten thousand $10,000 that helped them get started. I mean, that is the thing is that I have I – have, so, and I don't want to give too many specifics because I have so much respect. There, but there are business owners that I have worked with – that I have dealt with that come from prominent families. They started having some success, but they claimed, nope, I'm not taking any money from this side. I want to show I can do it all on my own. That, that's pride. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I've seen people who have missed out on some opportunities. Good for them for trying to not do it in the shadow of their successful family members. But – If you have a ticking time clock, because realize opportunity sometimes does have an expiration date. There are things you might get to that real estate before everybody else on an opportunity, but the window is maybe three months, six months. And if you don't capitalize and expand within that three to six month period, you know what? They've gone on to the next person. They've gone on to the next thing. You have to make sure you capitalize. And I've seen too many people that um, don't recognize, and this is where John Elway, I think, fell off too, Love and admiration can be an opportunity. Yep. I know it's not as sexy as saying that you came from, you know, started from the bottom, $50, you know, but, but there is something to it. Now you're hearing from two guys. I mean, uh, you know, we, we come from minimal, but I've dealt with enough successful families. I see where pride can be very damaging. Comfort. This is how comfort, cause that's the, I had pride. And now let's talk about comfort. Comfort is not going to be your friend if you're trying to maximize opportunities. Because opportunities and success are going to require you to do stuff that feels uncomfortable. Sure. Um You might have to move to a completely new city. Nobody wants to move. You might have to talk to a room full of people. And you might be one of those analytical people that, that that just makes the hair on your arm stand up. When you hear that, you might have to approach strangers. Guys, I'll tell you, that's one of the hard ones for me. I mean, I... I the thought of having to go up and just start talking to strangers—I don't mind talking to people, but I'm kind of—I I still have a lot of CPA in me, guys. I mean, I'm—I'm a—I'm an extra. I'm not a complete introvert, but I'm more of an introvert than people probably realize sure. when it comes to social situations. I love being around friends. Don't like talking to strangers. I'm not a glad hander when yep. I'm in a room full of people. You might have to go sell something. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes to sell because you know what? Negotiation, which is part of the sell, creates somewhat benign conflict and nobody, you're not going to fight for your life, but it is one of those things where negotiations and selling is somewhat in some degree conflict um, because somebody could tell you, no, they could turn you down. It's uncomfortable, but opportunities go require you to do what makes you uncomfortable. You might have to take
1: a uh, cut and pay. You might have to walk away oh, yeah. from a good paying and, job.
0: And, and that's, and that's, that's, you're getting down there under, um, you know, some of the, cause we've got some of those things coming up. That's exactly right. Comfort you might have to, because I do have it down here, is that you might have to take a big step back to make a leap forward. I saw it. All, I've seen it all the time. I mean, and we, we could go on, but I, I think that's probably enough for, for the listeners. Um, I had written, tr- you know, talking about turning that opportunity into fulfillment. Be prepared to take a step back in order to leap forward exactly what you said. And part of that is having a three-year go plan. How are you going to pay for food and shelter? You know, There's nothing wrong with having a great idea, but if you don't have a plan, remember what I was talking about in the intro where only 21% of people actually have a plan to make sure they don't outlive their money? A plan is a big part of this, so you've got to have a three-year go plan because it's going to take three years to get this thing to to, to at least have some roots to it. Um, a great idea does not get you guaranteed success. You've got to have a plan to how you're going to make that happen. I'd also put be deliberate. There'll be a moment that you're going to have to jump. You're going to have risk if you're going to be doing this, whether you're talking about a new job, whether you're talking about starting a new business endeavor. You will need to be deliberate in the fact that you're going to have to eventually make the jump. I will tell you if it's a life-changing thing, like whether we're talking about you're quitting a great-paying job or you're moving to another city and it's going to impact your family, Measure twice, sure. but still be deliberate. Yep. I'm not saying don't understand the risk of the situation. It's kind of going back to that millionaire next door thing is that you have to evaluate the risk versus reward and create the balance that's going to equal the success and give you the best chance of opportunity from it. Um, sleep becomes optional. That's how you know you're really taking risk is when, you know what? I'm just not going to be sleeping anymore. We 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 had a phone call yesterday with a business venture that's, it's you know, we're kind of their beta testers. We're doing some things. They were writing us emails last night at 7.30, 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. I thought it was interesting. And, I, and as I was writing these show notes, as I'm working on show notes at 9.30 at night, I'm like, it ties back to what I was talking about, is that people who are seeking and passionate about opportunity might do it at weird times. Sleep becomes optional, not only because of the work you have to do, but also because you I'll be honest, you'll be scared to death. Mm -hmm. So sleep does become optional. And this is, you know, we don't talk about politics on this podcast. We don't talk about religion on this podcast, but I did write this one. Your spirit will need to be nourished. I will tell you when you challenge yourself to depths you've never been challenged. It's nice if you can have something that makes you feel like you can take it out of your hands. So that can be prayer, that can be yoga, but I will tell you, your spirit will need to be nourished if you're going to be successful in making an opportunity of fulfillment dream. Um, and here's kind of the last thing I had to close it out. Big plans will require small steps. Remember, when you talk about companies like Apple, when you talk about companies like Google, when you talk about any, even let's talk, let's not even talk about business, let's talk about bands. Where did your favorite bands, where did your favorite businesses start? They didn't start in a boardroom. They didn't start in Carnegie Hall if they're playing a a concert. They are starting in a garage. you got to go to the garage before you can get to the boardroom. And that's the big big plans that are going to require small steps. I think a lot of people, it all goes back to that why that I started the thing out with. A lot of people will daydream. They'll visualize all the fruits of success of what they want to reach. But you've got to have a plan of action that consists of a bunch of small steps if you're truly going to be successful. If you're truly going to turn that opportunity into something that makes your life fulfilling. And that, that's, a, that, that's what I came up with. That's all, that's money guy original there. Because like I said, we typed up show notes last night because I couldn't find anything that I thought was comprehensive enough. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, kind of changing gears, talking about the survey. Uh, Bo have no idea if they can still submit more survey results. So I would tell you, do a, do a search of your email if you have a survey. Feel free, if you want to, to go fill out the results if it allows you. I'm sure Kaylee will have it whether or not. You'll know very quickly if you can give right. us survey answers. But I, what we noticed was you guys love the podcast. We're going to continue to focus on the podcast. Um, mailbag issues, you know, if you guys want to write us questions that you want us to focus on, I I foresee us in the future with this new product, you know, new brand launch that we're doing with a new website. I could see us doing more of a mailbag. Not that we're going to take away the content that we're already doing, but we could probably add in additional content to answer listener questions. So feel free to send those over to us. Um, probably need some information on that. Brian at moneyguy.com for my email address, Bo, your BO at moneyguy.com. Um, I guess focus on negatives. People always want to neg- you guys didn't seem like you're getting as much from the blog posts that we're doing, so we're, we're reevaluating and trying to figure that out. Bo, was there anything else that I'm kind of leaving off from the, the survey results? No, I think uh, a lot of people uh, said they would like for us to do the show more frequently. <laughs> if we're going
1: to be honest with you, we would love to do it more frequently, too. This is our passion. This is what gets us juiced at 930 at night, but we do have day jobs. We do want to make sure we're taking care of our clients and doing everything we're supposed to be doing there. So I don't know that we'll be increasing the frequency of podcasts,
0: um, but that just it is what it is. But there could be more specials. Sure. We could, like yep. I said, the, the mailbag answering listener questions, and I think there's some other fun things we could throw in in the background from time to time. You know, maybe I do a crazy show on Disney or something like that. You know, because people like the, some people like it, some hate it. Yep, that's what I thought was interesting, guys. Is that we'll have some of you who say I love how you keep it lighthearted and you bring in personal stuff, and then we have other people that no. No, don't talk about personal stuff. Tell Just me give somebody. me the meat. Give me the meat. I want the meat only. And then I have, um, you know, there was one thing I, I felt like I do need to share because this listener obviously had been listening even before you came on, yeah. Bo, and I know they're going to hear this one, is that they were saying, how do you reconcile the fact that you claim that you're a tightwad with some of the things you're talking about in life? And, you know, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people. I will promise you I'm a card-carrying tightwad. But life has changed a little bit. I mean, when I was in high school, when I was in college, and when I was starting out in my career, nobody was getting better deals than me on spending or anything. I was the guy who really did perfect a $7 date night in college. That poor girl, those poor girls that went out with me, hopefully they didn't notice they were getting a $7 date, but I, and I was carrying coupons and all the other stuff. But there is something, and I think people who are listening who are maybe a a little older and know what I'm talking about, they're reaching their peak earning years. There is a transition that does occur as you reach more and more success in your life because as many of you noted on the surveys that we sent out, money is a tool. I've always felt like in my mind, as long as I'm checking the boxes, I'm giving like I'm supposed to. I'm also saving like I'm supposed to. I'm taking care of my children to make sure that they are taken care of. Uh, I'm not running up debt. you know. And and if I still have money because I've been very blessed and very fortunate that the business has grown to the point that there's still money – I am going to create life experiences because I don't know what happened after I crossed over the 40 mark, but I got super sentimental about things. I recognized, Hey, I'm building all this, this money and wealth. I don't talk about success a lot because I'm kind of modest in those terms, but I am going to create memories for my families. So we're going to go on trips. We're going to do things that create these things because I don't think you get to take the stuff with you, but I know I get to take what's in my head. So that, that's a big part. I hope that helps that, that, that survey person who said, I don't know how you can reconcile your life from the things you talk about and then you talk about tightwad. I am a card-carrying tightwad. It's just my life has evolved. I mean, still, it kind of goes back to the Stop Acting Rich stuff in, in the book that I mentioned in the last podcast, is that you know what is a percentage of of what I've got going on is a lot different than it was back in college and, and the first ten years out of college. So hopefully that's enough. But and that's a little personal. I get nervous when I start talking about personal stuff because you know never know how it's going to be accepted. But thank you guys for all that you share with us, all the emails you write us, all the positive feedback you put out there on iTunes, and then for for the the few that reach out to us and try to take the relationship to the next level. You make this happen, and I can't thank you enough for trying to for hiring us and putting us in 30 states with clients now. So I'm your host, Brian Preston. We'll be back in two weeks, and thank you so much. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.